Well, if you want to open up your Bibles uh, with me, I'm going to go to Galatians 2.20. It's a verse that I know you're probably familiar with. Galatians 2.20 is a foundational passage uh, for us as believers. It describes what happened when we gave our lives to Jesus. It describes what, uh, is going, uh, what the future of our, our life in Christ is now. And I, I think it uh, paints a good picture for the testimony that I'm going to share this morning. Galatians 2.20, verse that you know well. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. When we gave our lives to Jesus, everything changed. We gave our lives to the Lord, we became a new creation, and that new creation, we're told, got crucified on a cross along with Jesus. And that the life that we lived before is now over. And now we have a new life that we go on living in the Son of God. Say it this way. We became servants of the Lord Jesus. We became those that now submit our lives to the Lord and have a big yes in our heart to go where Jesus goes, say what Jesus says, and do what Jesus does. Well, that verse is really a pretty good picture of what it is that the Lord wants for all of us And a life of devotion, the song that we uh, sang this morning, I love it. I hadn't heard that song before that Lance and the team did. I lay me down, I lay me down willingly that this life now, it's yours. What do you want to do, Jesus? What do you want to do? Well, when I came to know the Lord in 1999, I was an 18-year-old who had been an atheist. And I was uh, filled with anger and was all about myself. And the Lord powerfully encountered me one night and, uh, and I uh, changed my perspective on that God wasn't real. It's kind of uh, an interesting thing when an atheist has a power encounter with God. Uh, you tend to change your vote pretty quickly. But even having an encounter with the Lord didn't help me to understand the gospel until it was presented to me. And I can remember the night that I gave my life to Jesus. And I walked away from that meeting, and I just had just come out of a life of arrogance and self-centeredness. And I, I just had some sort of an anointed prayer. You ever have one of those uh, moments where you don't even know how, where that came from? Don't even know how that came out of your mouth? Well, I'm about 15 seconds old in Jesus, and I prayed this very wise prayer that I promise you wasn't me. I said, Jesus, with all the energy and strength that I used to serve myself, I'm now going to serve you all the rest of the days of my life. I didn't realize that I was praying Galatians 2.20. I was praying that this, this life now, I've been crucified, I'm done, it's over Now it's about a life submitted to Jesus. So my message this morning is called A Life Submitted. And I want to talk about what the Lord is willing to do. Big God, little us. I want to talk about what what God is willing to do with a life that's submitted. With just a big yes in your spirit. You know, if you're like me, you often feel like you don't have much to give to the Lord. All the Lord is looking for, all he's looking for, is a yes in your heart. That's all he wants. Really, whatever else you think you have really isn't that impressive to him. Your resume, it's really not an impression to the God who did Genesis 1. I mean, he's not impressed, I promise. You, you having this or being that or being experienced in this, and all those things can be helpful and are totally unnecessary. They can be helpful, but God's just looking for a life submitted, a big yes to whatever it is that the Lord might say. Now, I'm going to share some testimonies this morning And I want to glorify Jesus at each point in these testimonies. So if you hear something that God did and it was exciting to you, you can go ahead and clap. You can go ahead and hoot and holler. If you want to start singing and dancing, you go for it. I mean, probably don't do it for 10 minutes, but I'll give you a little bit of room. I want to glorify Jesus this morning because the stories I'm going to tell are so unbelievable, they're impossible. 
which means I can take zero credit for them. And I take no credit for them. The Lord did some wild things with a heart that just said, yes, Lord, you're in charge. Not my life, but yours that I'm now living. So I want to share some wild stories with you. Well, I came to know the Lord, as I just told you. And immediately following that, I began to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I was in a uh, denominational context that um, didn't believe that God spoke, but I sure was hearing the Lord. Made for a very interesting first year in the faith. But uh, I, I struggled through hearing the Lord speaking to me and specifically calling me to Africa, calling me to be a missionary in Africa. And I thought, man, that's a pretty cool calling. That's pretty awesome. I started reading some books about it, you know, see what people have been doing in Africa over the past decades and century, and I'm excited. Well, I start praying and asking the Lord for some details. I mean, that's what you would do, right? If you start to feel a stirring, the Lord's speaking about something, you want a little bit more details. It's nice, I'm going to Africa, but when and how and who with and all that. And I began to get some very interesting, and I won't lie, disturbing answers. I began to ask the Lord, well, uh, who am I going to go with? And I felt the Lord begin to impress upon my heart, you're going by yourself. And I said, no, no, Lord, what missions organization am I going with to Africa? You're going by yourself. Ew. That just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. I'm like, Lord, you know there are these organizations that have been doing this for decades. they got all this stuff figured out. They know where and how. It just seems like wisdom to go with one of them. Yeah, but that's not what I'm doing with you. You're going by yourself. Okay. All right, well, what am I going to do when I get there? I'll show you when you get there. Lord, this is two for two bad answers in a row. I'm going to just go to Africa, and you're just going to show me what to do when you get there? Can I have any more details, Lord? Go east. You know, this just doesn't seem all that helpful in my little prayer time that I'm having with the Lord, and I'm trying to get some answers about what's going to happen with my life, and I'm going to go to Africa It's nice to get a little bit of detail, and I'm not really liking what I'm getting here. I said, okay, well, Lord, you know, if if I'm just going to go, and you're not going to let me, you know, know anybody, or I'm not going with any organization, um, what am I taking with me? Well, how do I get prepared for this? Take nothing with you. I'll show you what you're going to do when you get there. You won't know a soul on the continent until you land. Huh. Well, the good news is, I got to go to sleep that night and completely forget the conversation that I had with the Lord the day before and start all over in prayer the next day and ask him the same questions again and again and again. And for three years, every day of my life, I heard the same terrifying answers to the same questions every day, at least once a day for three years. It's really interesting when you find yourself in a situation where you've given the Lord every out possible But you feel the Lord stirring and speaking. You know, to me, at the end of three years, there was zero question of what the Lord wanted me to do. It didn't seem like a good idea to me. It seemed a a bit rash. It's a way that I would fully uh, discourage you to embrace missions. I in no way endorse the way that I went to Africa. What I do, however, want to point out is that there are times in our life where the Lord does something outside the box. Now, the majority of you, you are not in any way going to live a life where everything you do is outside the box. That sounds to me like you probably need somebody to tame you. But there are times, you can see this pattern in Scripture, where 
characters in the scripture, male and female, they're doing life, they're following God, and then there are these moments where God tells them to do something that is definitely outside of the box. And it's one of those moments that they, they seek the Lord and they try to hear God out and, and really find his heart. And if it's really the Lord, then it's really the Lord. It was one of those moments for me. After three years of praying the same prayers over and over again, I was a pretty bold 22-year-old. I mean, at this point, I'm at, at a place in life where I've been praying every day and gotten confidence, and I am asking sincerely every day, Lord, do you want to give me some redirection here? Is this an Isaac on the altar kind of a moment? You're going to stop me right before I go? Lord, what do you want? How is this supposed to look? Well, the time came. The Lord made it clear. I won't go into those details now just for the sake of time. But the Lord made it clear that it was time to go to Africa and to do this wild mission, this crazy version of international evangelism. I feel called to minister to the Muslims. And so I'm just trying to figure out, well, where am I going to land? Because the Lord hasn't really made that all that helpful. And if I remember right, Africa's kind of a big place. So I just pick the most Muslim place I can get into. I pick a country that is 99.9% Muslim that's not a closed nation that I can land. The, uh, the country of Mali. And so I just feel like, man, that's right. It just seems right. And I book a plane ticket. And I, uh, I, I had somebody helping me with some air miles. And so I was able to, uh, to get part of the flight stuff taken care of. So they were able to book the flight for me. But I didn't have the money for the flight. And so I'm in the weeks leading up to my departure date. And I don't have any money, really. And I, I don't have the plane ticket paid for. And I don't tell a soul. I'm thinking, if it's God, he's going to have to pay for that plane ticket. If this is God, I mean, I'm about to do the craziest thing I've ever heard of. I need a little assurance it's God. So I just, I don't tell a soul. It's a week before the flight. I still don't have any money, and I don't tell a soul. I'd been doing youth ministry for the past years up to that point, and a sophomore in high school approaches me about a week before my departure date. And he says, uh, hey, Brad, do you have all the money for this trip? I just kind of look at him. I go, huh. I said, uh, why do you ask? He said, have you paid for your plane ticket yet? Have you gotten all the money for your plane ticket? Uh, well, uh, uh, wh- why? Would $1,000 be helpful? I said, yeah, that would be real helpful, actually. This is a sophomore in high school. I know his dad, so I call his dad. And I said, listen, um, your son approached me. He said he wants to give me this $1,000. I want to check with you. I mean, this is a lot of money. He said, yeah, it's his entire life savings. He told us about it. So a sophomore in high school wants to pay $1,000 for me to go to the mission field. He said, yeah, use the money and go to the mission field. Do the work of God. Okay, I will then. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't bother to tell him I still needed $600 more because the plane ticket was about $1,600. It was all said and done. In the next several days, so that was a week out, before we got to four days out, so in the next three days, another $600 came in. 200 there, 300 there, 100 there, boom, 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 through people that I didn't even tell I needed money. I got all the money I needed and not much more, I might add, about $5 more, okay? <clears throat> so I thought, well, the Lord provided for this. I'm doing it. I'm going for it. So I had that $5. And I know the Lord told me to go with nothing, but I just felt like, well, can I just get one last cup of coffee? Just one last, just, you know, I don't know how long it's going to be before I eat. Like, is this going to be a manna kind of thing? Like, how am I going to do this with no money? You told me to take nothing with me, no money. 
So my plane ticket came, the day of my departure, I get on the flight, I literally have $5 with me. I have a backpack with my Bible in it, and an extra pair of uh, clothes, and a stick of deodorant. I'm sorry I snuck that one in there. I know the Lord said nothing, I just, I don't like being stinky if I can help it. So I thought, you know, I mean, it's a big deal. So anyway, so I, I get on a plane to go to who knows where, I don't. With $5, which I promptly spent at the Heathrow Airport in London and landed in Africa with some, you know, little coins. I mean, I landed with nothing. Well, I get off the plane, and i got to tell you this. The way that this uh, trip worked is I had to go, you know, multiple flights in order to land where I was going to land. And it had been a couple of days that I'd been on planes. I'm jet-lagged. I'm so tired. It's been at least two flights since I've been able to speak one word to anybody because nobody speaks English. So I have been completely unable, and as an extrovert that likes to talk, this is really painful. This was like worse than fasting, okay? And so I'm, I'm on these planes, and I can't talk to anybody, and I'm kind of discouraged, but at the same time, I know I'm doing the will of God, and we land. It's two in the morning, in the middle of the night, and I haven't been able to, you know, uh, sleep. I'm so exhausted. We land, and there's no airport. I'm walking off stairs onto the dirt runway. I mean, there's dirt. there was a runway, but I'm stepping off onto dirt. And I can remember in that moment, all the faith, all the prayers, all the everything, in sincerity, I look up at Jesus and I go, if you're not real, I'm a dead man. <laughs> so go ahead and be real, okay? All right, I'm here. They start walking off in the distance. I can't communicate with anybody. They're just single file line. They're walking to this proverbial light in the distance. And they're just walking single file. So I just kind of file in like a lemming. And here we go. We're walking to who knows where. Well, they're walking to this hangar that's off in the distance. And, uh, and they're, they're letting people in. They're going through customs. And I, I think, I mean, that's kind of what I'm figuring out because everybody's getting out their passport and showing this very intimidating lady who was like six ladies of a lady. She was a big woman, and she was intense, and she was in your face. And she's, you know, wearing the, you know, the, the you know, police outfit or whatever, the military police, and she's armed. And I come up there, and she looks at me, and she says something to me in a language I don't know because all I know is English and Big Latin. And neither of those were very helpful at this point. So she's speaking some language to me, and I just kind of smile at her, and I, I say, yeah, see, I don't really know what language you're speaking. And she said something else to me, and I just kind of handed my passport to her, and she looks at me sternly and asks me some more questions, and I just shrugged, and I said, sorry, only English. And she, one of my favorite things that I learned in Africa is what people do when they're tired of talking to someone who they think is relatively harmless, but they are certainly tired of how, uh, you know, lack of helpful they are, they go, bah, and bah means you get a free pass. Bah means I'm so tired of dealing with you, you're so dumb I'm just going to let you go because I don't want to deal with you anymore. And i got a long line of people behind you that need my help. So, bah. So I fell in love with bah. I got bahed quite a bit while I was in Africa. <laughs> it's how I got in and it's how I stayed. And so I got bahed and now I'm in the airport, which is a hangar, not even the size of this room. And I'm exhausted. Everybody's getting their luggage off the plane. I have no luggage. I have my Bible and my deodorant in my backpack and my 37 cents in other foreign currency. And everybody's getting their baggage and stuff. And I say, I say, Jesus, I'm so tired. 
Holy Spirit, help me find a place to sleep. And before I even finish that sentence, I'm greeted by someone who knows broken English. And they greet me, and they immediately they walk up and they say, you need taxi? You need hotel? I go, well, well, yeah. And I'm thinking, I just got done praying. Lord, are you in this? Like, what's going on here? And I feel the Holy Spirit saying, go with him. Go with this guy. So I asked him, I said, uh, I said, listen, um, about the hotel and the taxi, uh, you don't have free versions of those, do you? Because uh, I said, I actually don't have any money. He looks at me. I got this a lot, too. He looks at me. He goes, you have no money? I said, nope, no money. You have no money. You come to Mali and you have no money. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> kind of silly, huh? So I have no money. He says, you need taxi? Yep. You need hotel? Yep. No problem, you come. No money? No problem, you come. I go, okay. And I feel the Holy Spirit go with this guy. I'm thinking, sweet, I got a free ride. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to the Swank Hotel in the taxi. going to see the, the, the countryside. This is going to be awesome. It's 2 in the morning, 2.30 by now. We start driving through the dunes. You know, Africa, the, the part I'm in is the Sahara Desert, sand dunes. I thought where I landed was nowhere. <laughs> no, after 45 minutes of just sand, I knew where nowhere was, and I was square in the middle of it. I can't talk to the guy in the front seat, uh, the, the taxi driver. This guy had hired out. I can barely speak to the, uh, to the guy who got me in the car because he only knows a few words of English. We're driving. We're at 45 minutes. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I'm beginning to get a little bit worried. And I say to the, the guy in the front seat, I say, uh, hey, uh, you know, you know where, where's the hotel? And the two of them start arguing in the front seat. They start, you know, going back and forth in some language. I, don't, I still don't know what it was. And eventually the guy turns around and he goes, he say he want money now. I looked at him. I said, I have no money. We went through this. You were all, no problem, no problem. I said, I have no money. I still don't have any money. Did we go buy an ATM on the way here? I go, I have no money. He says, hmm. Two of them start arguing a little bit more. Next thing that happens, the driver begins to stop the car. We're out in the middle of nowhere. He gets out of the car. He opens my door. And he starts going, You know what that means? Get out of my car. I didn't have to know whatever language to know what he was saying. And I am freaked out. Well, I say I'm freaked out. I'm freaked out later. I don't have time to be freaked out because what happens in this moment? I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the Spirit of God falls on me. Falls on me. You know, it said, uh, Jesus said, you know, they'll take you before the Sanhedrin, they'll take you before the magistrates and the judges, and don't worry about what you'll say. The Holy Spirit will come on you and will give you words in that moment. I had that happen to me. It was wild. It was wild. Holy Spirit fell on me, and the only way I can say it is in boldness. And all of a sudden, as he's opening the door and saying, get out of my car, in whatever language, he doesn't know any English, I see my hand go like this. And I see it go like this. It's like I'm an outer body of experience. I'm looking at my hand, and all of a sudden, out of my mouth come these words. In the name of Jesus, you get back in this car. I'm not paying you one dime, and we're going wherever we were going before. And as soon as I say it, it's like lightning came out of my finger. This guy did not hear a word I said in English. Lightning came out of my finger and struck his face, and his countenance went from, oh, to, <sighs> he closes the door. 
He gets in the car. He starts driving. It's completely silent the rest of the way there. Jesus! <laughs> you're real, you're real, you're real. I'm not going to die. I'm in Africa and I'm not going to die. God is real, God is real. I am in the back seat freaking out of my mind. I'm having a celebration of celebrations because God is real. You know what's happening right here in this moment? God is supernaturally providing for something he told one of his servants to do. It's impossible. I should have gotten kicked out of that car and be stuck in the desert even now. You have no preacher here this morning. You'd be trying to find me out in the dunes. I'd be quite a bit buried at this point, under sand at this point. But the Lord provides when he calls us into something. There's a little life lesson there. The Lord speaks something to you. Say yes. Say yes. He'll make a way. He's speaking to some of you in this room right now about things you're supposed to do in your life. He's given you something as a starting point. I want you to go this direction. I want you to do this. I want you to take this step. Just say yes. More will come. More will come. A life submitted is not a life informed necessarily. It's just a big yes. And the Lord's going to work out the details and he'll make a way. So we're in this car, and we're driving, and we show up at no hotel. We show up at a little mud hut village out in the middle of nowhere. And I am so tired, I don't even care. The guy who uh, arranged the ride for me, he puts a mat down on the ground. When I say mat, I mean straw mat on the ground. And he says, hotel. Mm Mm-hmm. Hotel. Methinks you've given me the short end of the stick here. I was so tired I didn't even care. Now I gotta give you a little bit of backstory of something I figured out a little bit later, but it'd be helpful for you to know now in the storyline. This guy was a henchman of a crime syndicate. And I have been picked up as a ransom, pretty much. The crime syndicate operates this way. There's a crime lord who I'll introduce to you in a moment. And he has got henchmen at all the major ports, airport, the, you know, where the ferries come in, train station, bus, uh, bus station. He's got henchmen posted at all the major ports, and this is their assignment. Find white men. Because white men have money. And white men, we can either take out into the desert and steal their wallet and get all their uh, money, or we can swindle them, or we can get them into all sorts of nefarious uh, you know, activities that, that go on in, in uh, that part of uh, the nation. One way or the other, we want to try to get lots of money out of white men, so go and befriend white men, offer them taxis and hotels, and then take them to drop points out in the middle of nowhere, where then the crime lord comes and meets them and decides their fate. Go to Africa, he said. I'll show you what you're going to do when you get there, he said. Well, good news is I know none of this at this point. I'm happy-go-lucky, and I sleep very well and get bit by 100 mosquitoes. They love white skin. Mmm, delicious. So I wake up the next morning, and I have this meeting with Carder. Carder is the crime lord that I don't know is a crime lord. I just know he's a guy who speaks perfect English. It's the first conversation I've been able to have in like three days, four days. And I am so excited. I don't know I'm being interviewed to find out what is going to become of me, whether I'm going to be killed and left in the desert or what. I don't know. I'm so happy-go-lucky, I don't even care. 
I'm just so excited to have a Muslim who speaks English to witness to. He's trying to interview me. I'm trying to get him saved. It was the most awesome, awkward conversation you've ever heard of. He says, he says so uh, are you here for tourism? No, I'm here to preach the gospel and to get you saved. He says, no, I'm big Muslim man. You know, win me over and make me Christian man. I said, that's what you think. That's what I'm here to do. Let's have a conversation about Jesus. You need Jesus so bad. He's like, you have no money? No, I have no money. I can't. He's like, this is impossible. No one comes to Mali with no money. I go, I did. He says, who, who are you here to connect with? I said, I know no one. He says, this is not possible. No one comes to Mali with no money and knows no one. I said, I did. I'm here to win you to Jesus. Are you ready? The wildest thing happens in this conversation. I curry favor with a ruler. This guy falls in like with me. In about 10 or 15 minutes, this dude's wrapped around my pinky. He loves Brad Stroop. He just thinks I'm the greatest thing ever. He doesn't get me at all, but I am so different from every one of these interviews he's had before. This is not what he's used to. Plus, I'm broke, so he ain't getting no money. It was helpful to go broke. So he says, I like you. He says, this, he says I help you become big man in Mali. Big man in Mali. Now, again, I don't know what all's going on in his world <clears throat> and how bad of a duty he is. I just know that I'm there to preach the gospel and I'm out in the middle of the desert and I'm obviously not at a hotel and things feel a little off. So he says, he says, you come and live with me. Now again, I don't know who this guy is. So I asked the Holy Spirit. I said, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? I mean, I'm out in the desert. It'd be kind of nice to get a ride to someplace other than where I is. He said, uh, what are you doing here? And I heard the Holy Spirit say two things that were very interesting. First, this guy is bad news. Dangerous man. Okay, I'm taking a step back here. Do I run now? No, 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 no. I want you to go live with him. You know, Lord, you just said he's bad news, dangerous. That typically means run away and hide. But you're saying, live with him? You know, the scriptures talk about Daniel. We talk about Joseph winning favor with very powerful, wicked men. Nebuchadnezzar was a really ruthless dude. And Daniel was his number one guy. Nebuchadnezzar loved Daniel and did things for Daniel he wouldn't do for anybody. How did that actually happen? Supernatural favor of God. And if... <laughs> If not for the favor of God, dead redhead in the desert. <laughs> Supernatural favor of God. This guy invites me into his home. The Holy Spirit says, come. Now let me tell you what happens here. We get to his home. His home, they, uh, they, it, it was a pretty nice place. They, uh, the, the city and the part of town that I was in there uh, was laid out like city blocks. And there would be these compounds, almost like mini castles. They'd be about the size of this room. And you imagine a door over there that's the entry point into the compound. And then the walls would be high, maybe two, three stories high. And then there's a courtyard in the middle and rooms all the way around. And they did community life in the middle. That's where they cooked in the middle and all that kind of stuff. He owned this whole compound. And this is where his henchmen lived. He doesn't just put me up in a room. He puts me up in his apartment, in his living room. And I'm there in this compound. 
and I start meeting a lot of people, and I find one very interesting thing about where the Lord lands me. All these henchmen, it's their job to know a little bit of English in order to be able to swindle out white guys, to be able to get them out to these drop spots so that the, the crime lord can figure out what to do. So all of them know a little bit of English. No one knew English over there. I'm probably at the only place in the city where there is an a entire household filled with people who are lost who know English. Which, remember, I know English and Big Latin. The Lord put me in the place, the only place I could actually minister. And probably the place that needed it the most. So I start ministering to these henchmen. They recognize I've got the favor of their boss, so they're all friendly to me from the start. They are treating me differently than they probably treated any white man they've met before. I'm getting favor, and immediately I start ministering the gospel to them. I know why I came. I came to win Muslims to Jesus. Let's tell them about Jesus. Let's give them the gospel, and let's see the power of the gospel unto salvation in the lives of these, of these Muslim men. So these henchmen, a couple of them start giving their lives to Jesus. One of them, my favorite little guy, his name's Hum Hum. Now his real name I can't even pronounce. I called him Hum Hum because his language, all it sounded to me like was, I just called him Hum Hum. He called me my guys. I think he must have heard that song, My Guy. You know, that old song. I guess he heard that and just like thought it was an endearing term. So he calls me my guys, I call him hum-hum, deal with it. <laughs> Fun little relationship. I've been ministering the gospel to him one morning. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm talking to him, and uh, he comes, he's got a big smile. And he says, he says, my guys, I have the Jesus. He's warm. He's warm in here now. Hum-hum, are you telling me you gave your life to Jesus? Yes, my guys, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> I start hooting and hollering. I'm so excited. Hum Hum gave his life to Jesus. Hum Hum is the crime lord's number one guy. Now, a henchman that gets saved becomes increasingly less and less useful as a henchman because they got the Spirit of God convicting them to not do all the bad things that they're used to doing. So begins the time period where I'm beginning to lose favor with my beloved host, who I'm picking up on day by day. This guy's a bad dude. Well, one day I'm out walking around. I, each day I'd walk a little bit further from the compound trying to figure out what the city's like because I'm picking up on, I'm not going to probably be at this place forever. In fact, I'm thinking my exit is coming sooner than later because now a couple of the henchmen are giving their lives to the Lord. I'm ministering to them, and I'm starting to disciple on them, talking to them about Jesus. I'm wandering around, and one day these two people come up to me and they say, something, something, Jesus Christ. I go, Jesus Christ, that's got to be my Jesus. And I look at them and I said, you guys are Christians? And they look at me, and in perfect English they say, you know English? And I go, oh! I go, I don't care who you are, I'm hugging you right now. On the side of the street, I grab these two people, I hug them tight, because I've just now met Christians that know English. I say, who are you people? They go, Oh, we're pastors of a little Pentecostal church two blocks away. You remember the demographic? 99.9% Muslim. Don't leave a lot of room for Pentecostal churches. 
I'm landed two blocks away from a Pentecostal church at this crime lord's house. And I say to them, I go, uh, they, said, they said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm a missionary from America. And they go, oh, and they look at each other. And they said, we've been praying that the Lord would send us a white missionary from America. Because you're white, it doesn't matter what you talk about. Because you're from America, you can gather a crowd anywhere and talk about whatever you want. The very thing that was in my heart was to do outdoor preaching crusades. They said, we have a sound system and a generator ready. We want you to start doing preaching crusades with us, preaching the gospel. Everywhere we go, you'll gather a crowd because you're white and you're American. I said, let's do this. This is going to be awesome. They've been praying for the Lord to send them a white American missionary. Should be do. They said, uh, I said, okay, well, where are you staying? I go, well, I'm staying at this guy, Cardair's house. <gasps> Cardair? And I go, it's that bad? They said, this is impossible. They say, this, this man, how are you alive? He, he kills people. He takes this. And I was like, yeah, I kind of thought he was bad. They said, they said he, he's a terrible man. He's a crime lord. Da, 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 da. They said, we've been trying for years to get an inroad into his house. I said, oh, well, then you'll be glad to know that his number one henchman just got saved, and I'm discipling him. <gasps> and they told me the guy's name. You mean so-and-so? I said, yeah, he's my friend. They go, <gasps> I said, yeah, I go, I said, and I told him a story about it, you know, this is, Jesus is in my heart, and they go, oh my goodness, this is God. Well, we begin to do outdoor preaching crusades, and everywhere we go, a crowd would gather, and I'd be able to preach the gospel. It was a powerful time where the Lord was moving. Near daily, I was seeing crazy things happen. Well, this church helped me get out of the crime lord's house and into my own apartment that they uh, helped me uh, take care of and, and make things work. And I began to disciple Hum Hum. I got him a Bible in his language, and we'd go out and we'd minister. And everywhere we'd go, I'd, uh, I'd share a verse, and then he'd open his Bible, and then he'd, he'd read it in, uh, in French, because he knew French, and then he'd translate it into whatever tongue. The guy knew seven languages. He's the perfect translator. This guy used to be the number one henchman of a crime lord, and now he's the number one disciple of an evangelist. He's known the Lord a week. And he's got a Bible, and he's discipling people. He's helping the process. It's unbelievable. We start doing outdoor preaching crusades. We, we, we see uh, uh, people, you know, hearing the gospel for the very first time ever. Telling people that Jesus is a God who heals. Jesus is a God who can transform a life. There was such hunger and eagerness. One day, I'm preaching, and Hum Hum comes up to me afterwards, and he says, he says, my guys, the witch doctor's son is here. I go, cool, let's do this. He said, I set up an appointment tonight. He's going to meet you afterwards. So I meet him, and he says, uh, the guy, he, I'm translating through Hum Hum, he says, uh, my father's the Marabu, the witch doctor. He said, if he knew I was here right now, he'd kill me. He said, you said that your Jesus can heal. He said, I want you to pray that your Jesus would heal me. I said, listen, I believe Jesus is going to do it. Because Jesus wants to show you that he's real and that he's powerful and that he loves you and that he sees you. But that you need to give your life to him. I believe he's going to heal you, but it's a testimony into your world, into your dark heart, that he wants to heal you. He'd experienced a chronic back pain all the days of his life. All the days of his life, he'd never had a day without back pain. I pray for him. He leaves. Seems pretty uneventful. Doesn't say anything. I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. Next day, Hum Hum comes up to me. My guys, I see the witch doctor's son. He say, 
when you went, lay hand on him, fire come through your hand into his back. Completely healed. He said, he went to meet you again tonight. I go, well, yeah, come on. Seven o'clock that night, I meet him. I said, hey, what happened? He said, when you put your hand on me, again, through the translator, when you put your hand through me, I felt fire. He said, I've never felt anything like this before. I have had no pain since that moment. I've never experienced anything like this before. Jesus is real. I said, yeah, he's real. And he's after your heart. I said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? He said, I can't. My father's the witch doctor. He'll kill me. I said, you know he's God. Yes. You know Muhammad's not. That Allah is not real. He's not a God. He's a demon. You understand that? He said, yes. I said, you're not, really, you're not ready to give your life to Jesus? I can't. My father's a witch doctor. He'll kill me. It was then that I really began to understand the dark culture, the difficulty, the power, the forces against us in that, in that culture. We've got them here too. They look, look a little different. It's very real. Even the power of the gospel, the message to save. Man, just a bound heart. Well, while I wasn't having a lot of luck with the outdoor preaching crusade, I am seeing a number of the henchmen get saved and I'm discipling them on the side. The Lord's doing wild things, really, really cool stuff. Within the course of two weeks, before two weeks uh, uh, ended of me landing, the Lord orchestrated the wildest thing to me. I preached on the radio in the capital city of three million people. I remind you, I landed and did not know a soul on the continent. The Lord said, go, and I'll show you what to do when you get there. And the only other detail he gave me was go east. Just so happens that this crime lord le- lived in the most eastern suburb of the entire city. I'm, I'm staying in the most eastern suburb. The Lord is providing opportunities for me to preach on the radio. They had a radio station. It wasn't a, a religious station. It was an all-English station. And there were people all across the region that were trying to learn English, and, but they couldn't really speak it, and they would turn this radio station on to learn English, and here I am getting to preach the gospel. Within two weeks of landing, I started to think about this. I go, God, this is impossible. I'm 22 and know nothing. I am a nobody. I am just a guy with a yes in my heart. You say it, I say yes, sir. I have nothing. I have no education. I have no power. I have no clout. I'm just young in my faith. I just love Jesus. And I began to understand that the Lord does not care about our resume. He cares about our yes He just wants us to say yes. And I want to encourage you, say yes. What's he telling you? What in your life is he calling you to do? Start a business? Go here, do this, drop that, start this. Follow the Holy Spirit. He will provide supernaturally. He will do wild things that are impossible. Well, the season of time came to an end. And, uh, I, I was planning on, honestly, dying in the mission field and preaching the way I was preaching. I was probably on my way. <laughs> but after a short period of time, I began to feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me about coming home from Africa early. And I was very bummed by this. But again, I'm the yes man. I just want to say yes to Jesus. It doesn't matter if I like it. it doesn't matter if it's fun or comfy or even what I thought was going to happen. I just want to say yes to Jesus. And I said, Lord, if this is you, I really need to know. Like, I don't want to just come back and like get back here and go, oh, I missed it. Dang, I got to figure a way back over there. I want to know. To come off the mission field was as big of a deal to go. I said, Lord, if you'd be so kind, would you give someone in America a dream about me coming home early? And mercy, God, mercy, mercy, mercy. Let everything in the dream be the color red. And I'll know. I'll know that it's you. Speak any other way you want if you want to, but this would be really sweet and a real kind kiss, Lord. 
I get an email a week later. They have little internet cafes there in town. You could pay about a dollar and use very, very slow, excruciating slow internet connection. <laughs> so I checked my email, and there was a, an email from a, uh, one of my old students from when I'd been doing youth ministry. Again, I tell, I tell no one. In the email, she says, Brett, I had this really uh, interesting dream. It was very short. It was about you coming home from Africa early, and everything in the dream was the color red. Does that mean something? Only that God listens to people. I mean, that's a lesson. That's a hard lesson to figure on. God listens to humans. To you, I asked for the most specific thing. So I knew I was supposed to come back. And with a heavy heart, I came off the mission field. I began to think about what the Lord was doing with all this. And it wasn't long after that, a season later, that the Lord began to speak to me about my next commission. It's the prayer room mission space that we direct now where we do live prayer and worship 18 hours a day. The Lord made it really clear that was the next commission. And I was trying to think of ways to get back in the mission field. He just made it so clear that that was what was supposed to happen. I get back and I start doing life and, and uh, starting uh, you know, ministry and even helping start Church on the Hill 10 years ago, that season of time. And one of the guys that I, started, uh, that I saw come to Christ and started to disciple over in Africa, the Lord got a hold of this guy. And he started to become a wild evangelist. He started a church. He started a school. We started doing whatever we could back from the new home base that I had back here, the small group I had of Church on the Hill. You want to talk about the impact a small group can have? We started funding mission work for this guy in one crusade. It cost us about $1,500. We sewed into this guy so that he could spend a month out in the bush, out in the little mud villages, small villages. He went around to 20 different mud villages and in the course of a month saw 20 villages convert to Jesus from Islam. 560 people gave their lives to Jesus as a result of these mud villages, entire villages converting. And I started to think about this and I go, the power of a yes. I don't believe it was ever the Lord's intention for me to be over there longer than I was over there. He just wanted some guy with a yes. Some servant of God with a yes. I'll go, Lord. I'll do it. You want me to start the business? You want me to do the thing? You want me to take on this initiative? You want me to start the Bible? I'll do it. I'll follow you, Jesus. You just don't know how to measure the fruit of a yes. That thing's still going. There's all sorts of second and third generation impact over there because some 22-year-old said, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll go. The Lord. <laughs> I'm just so blown away by the fruit of obedience.